Well, good morning. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church, and we are so glad that you are with us today on this first installment, the first Sunday of 2013, and we are starting a new series entitled Living It. Uh, nobody wants a phony or a hypocrite. Everybody wants, if you're going to be serious about something, let's be serious. Let's be all in on this, and let's be real Christians. And uh, this whole series, we're, over the next six, seven, eight weeks, we're going to be looking at some lessons from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he was encouraging them as Christians who lived in a sinful culture to live out their faith. Uh, it's a New Testament book. It's really a letter written to Christians who lived in the ancient city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the home of one of the ancient wonders of the world, the temple of the pagan goddess, goddess Artemis or Diana. She was a fertility goddess, and the way you worshipped her was you went to the shrine uh, that was, or to the temple set up in her honor, and you had relations with a temple prostitute. As a result, uh, Ephesus was one of the favorite ports for sailors to check in from all over the world. Um, beyond that, it was also kind of the regional headquarters for black magic. If you wanted your future told or tarot cards or you wanted some sort of psychic reading where somebody would channel a demonic uh, reading for you, then you would go to Ephesus. And so Ephesus was a place that was known for its sin, for its immorality, for its worldliness, and right there in that city is where God led Paul to start a church. He stayed there for three years. And a few years after that, when he was arrested and put in jail in Rome, he wrote them a letter, a letter of encouragement to remind them what Christians need to be doing. And so we thought we couldn't come up with a better way to start off 2013 than to remind ourselves as Christians, hey, what do we need to be doing in our culture? We may not live in Ephesus, but we live in a culture that in many ways copies some of the sins that were going on in the place where the people who read this letter originally, those were sins that they were dealing with too. Let me have a word of prayer for us and we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Paul took pen to paper and wrote down the things that you had showed him. That you had shown him about living the Christian life. And I thank you, Lord, for the Christians who originally read this in Ephesus. I thank you that the scriptures have been protected and preserved for us so we could understand the same truths and we can sit down and reason together how we might apply these truths to our culture today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, Lord, this will be a breakout year in 2013, a year where you break out in my life, where I live the Christian faith for real. I surrender every part of my life to you. Lord, I pray this will be a, a year in which, Lord, you break out in this community, not just in my life, but in all of our lives. Your light shines out so people know how to live rightly as they see you change us. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak. Move me out of the way. Teach us the things that Paul was teaching the people of Ephesus. Apply these truths to our lives. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Inside your bulletin today that you received and you came in, you'll find an insert. It's entitled, Out with the Old, In with the New. It's got a three-hole punch. We have some uh, little three-ring binders available at the information desk. You can get one of those, and you can hang on to all these this year, and you can look back and, as you took notes and, uh, on these outlines so you can remember what God told you. By the way, if you need a pen to fill out the outline, just raise your hand. There are ushers coming up and down the aisles. They'll be glad to pass a pen to you so you can fill in the blanks take some notes on the side. So out with the old, in with the new. It was important that uh, as we study the letter to the Ephesians together, I'm kind of starting right in the middle of the letter because that's one of the subjects that Paul brings up. It's how to get rid of the old ways we used to live and embrace the new ways to live as Christians. I couldn't think of a more fitting place to begin here at the beginning of a new year. 
And that's point A on your outline, that Paul encouraged the Christians in Ephesus to abandon their old sinful ways of living and embrace new life through Christ. That's what God wants us to do. It's what he wanted, Paul was encouraging the Christians of his day to do. And point one under that is simply this, out with our old sinful natures. Well, what would you throw out? I mean, at the beginning of the year, a lot of us make New Year's resolutions. A friend of mine a few years ago, I talked to him. I said, what's your New Year's resolution? He said, to gain 12 pounds. I go, why on earth are you saying that? Because he didn't look like he needed to add any weight. And he goes, well, I've been trying to lose 12 for the last five years. It didn't work. So I thought I'd try the other side. Maybe if I try to gain it, I'll lose it. Uh, reverse psychology. And sometimes we think about that and we say, uh, you know, what's the point of New Year's resolutions? I can't maintain them anyway. Well, the good news is, When you come to Christ and say, Lord, I want to get rid of sin in my life, he doesn't say, well, good luck with that. When you come to Christ, he says, I'll get rid of the guilt of your sin. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. I'll empower you to overcome sin in your life. And Paul reminded the Christians there who lived in Ephesus, who were surrounded by sin all around them of every every, every kind, that, hey, you don't live that way anymore the way you used to live. Now you have Christ, and he's given you a brand new start. So out with our old sinful natures, with the Lord's authority, this is from Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. In Paul's time, the world was pretty much broken into two camps, the Jews who were the people of God, who had the word of God and instructions on how to live, and the Gentiles were people who were trying to make it on their own, trying to figure out what life was about without God's help, and they weren't doing very good at it says, so don't live as the Gentiles do. They're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. You don't have to live that way anymore. When you come to Christ, you discover that Jesus forgives your sins. So you don't have to feel guilty about those things anymore because he's taken all your guilt and shame away. He's given you his Holy Spirit so you have the power to live life as you should. And so Paul reminded the Christians of Ephesus, hey, don't go back to the old way you used to live. They would have had friends still in the black magic business. They would have had friends that were still working at the temple of the goddess as prostitutes. That's where they'd come from. Don't go back to that. And some of us need to hear these same things. God rescued you from a life of sin. God rescued you from a life of shame. Don't go back. You don't have to go back. If there were things you shouldn't have done in 2011 or 2012, well, here's what's good about starting a new year. I know it's just a page on the calendar, and you can say, John, it's just kind of arbitrary. Well, I understand that. But here's what's great about a new year. It gives us a chance to reflect and say, hey, where am I now? And we got a chance right now to make a clean break. We say, I'm going to live for Jesus this year. I'm not going to drag the filth and the junk from 2012 into 2013. Now, there's a note here. It's important for us to understand. Without God, we will never find true meaning. We won't. Paul said, hey, don't live the way you used to live. I mean, the Gentiles, these are people trying to find meaning out of their possessions or their power or their money or pleasure. They're trying to find meaning anywhere they can get it. And you won't ever find true meaning from that. Solomon, the wisest man who'd ever lived, experimented with this. The Bible tells us that Solomon had one wish. God granted him one wish. He told him, Solomon, wish for anything you want. He could have wished for power or money, military victories. He was king over Israel. And he said, no, just make me wise. And so God says, okay, Solomon, I'll make you wiser than any man that ever lived or ever will live. You'll be the wisest man ever. And Solomon wanted to figure out really what the pleasures of this world were and if there was any meaning to be found in them. 
And so here's what he did. This is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the quote-unquote good things in life. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the king's who have lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful pork, I mean concubines, okay? I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. And there's the conclusion, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. He had more money than anybody before him. More land, more possessions. He'd accomplished more. He would have been on the front of every publication. Tried wine. Tried women. Tried everything. Anything his heart desired, he took. And he said, you know what? Didn't satisfy. It was meaningless. Yeah, but that was just in Solomon's day, right? Nope. Listen to the words of that great theologian, Mick Jagger. He said, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no, oh no, no, no. Hey, 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 that's what I say. I mean, that's what he said. Direct quote, okay. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, ironically enough, after that became a big hit, the Stones rose to incredible heights as a rock and roll band, and it seems that they tried to do exactly what Solomon did. More women, more wine, more money. They amassed big houses and great amounts of silver and gold. But if you you see them on interviews, a lot of them have been through great pain and sorrow and hardship and have dealt with addictions and tragedy in their lives. And it's all so meaningless and you can't find any satisfaction anywhere. And Paul said, now look, when you were lost in your sin and you were stumbling around the darkness, it's understandable that you would follow after people thinking like that. You don't have to do that anywhere anymore. Now you know Christ. That brings us to the next point. In our outline, we get out with our old sinful natures and we bring in our new godly natures. Out with the old, in with the new. It's a great time at the beginning of 2013 to focus on, well then who are we? And Paul said, instead, instead of focusing on the old sins and living in your sinful former lifestyles, instead, let the Spirit, speaking about the Holy Spirit here, let Him renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. When you give your heart to Jesus, he really comes in. Next week, we're going to spend the whole time that we have together talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is, his role in our lives, and he's the power supply so you and I can live the Christian life. Really, I hope you can be here because it'll be very illuminating. And Paul never told people, hey, come to Jesus, and then Jesus stands back and goes, well, good luck. I hope that all works out. Instead, it was come to Christ and he'll change you. Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which, his good, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The whole idea is you want God to change the way you think. And he does that through a relationship with him. You hang out with God and all of a sudden your priorities change. Before you know Christ, it makes sense to lie and pad your resume because you've got to control your career. And if I'm going to climb the corporate ladder, I've got to get here and then here by this stage and whatever I've got to do, I'll do it. And that's just the way business is done. But if you come to Christ, you go, hey, wait a minute, I'm just going to be myself in this job interview. And if they don't like me or that doesn't fit in with the company's philosophy, then I have to assume that God had something better for me somewhere else because I trust his leadership. Well, that's a completely different way of thinking. In a worldly mindset, hey, if somebody does you wrong, they give you trouble, you give them double. You don't know what hard times are like. But you come to Jesus, and he forgives us and says, hey, the same way I've forgiven you, forgive others. And all of a sudden, you meet people who've come to Christ. I know people who came to Christ in 2011 and in 2012, and this last year they forgave somebody that they'd held a grudge against for 10, 15 years. And you ask them now how they feel, and they go, it's like a ton of bricks has been taken off my back. I'm free. They think differently. They're not out for revenge. They're not out to make a name for themselves. They're out to glorify God, and they're out to love others. I know people, after they came to Christ, who've actually downsized. They said, I'm not keeping up with the Joneses anymore. I had way more than I needed. And now they take great joy in giving and in serving others. And if you ask them, they would tell you this, it's as if God has given me, he's rewritten all the software in my brain. I'm a brand new person. He's changed the way I think. Now a key to all this is a note in your outline, the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. It's why we've quoted from the scripture so much already this morning, and we will continue through these outlines. My outlines just have a few points followed by big chunks of scripture. I don't really care if you remember what I say. I care very much that you remember what God says. Because his word is true. His word will guide us through life and what the true priorities in life are. And if you and I want to have our thinking changed, aligned with the one who made us, the one who knows what true meaning is. Solomon, by the way, at the end of Ecclesiastes said, hey, the only way you're going to find meaning is by having a right relationship with God. And of course he was right. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Here's one of the great things about reading the Bible. It'll just change you. I have a Bible reading plan. I read from a little bit every day. And one of the first time I ever did a reading plan, I remember it was such a shocking experience for me because I was just reading through the Bible, checking off the little check marks as I'm going through. So I'm going to make my way through the Bible like all good Christians are supposed to do. And then doggone it, you get in there and you're just reading it. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, that applies to me. And then, you know, I talked to my wife and she goes, well, of course it applies to you. I mean, you didn't know that? And it's like, get away from me, woman. Anyway, no, but I, <laughs> but I would sit there and go, how in the world... Did I miss this? Because as you read through the Bible, you'll find Bible characters who go through some of the same sort of circumstances you and I are going through. And sometimes they have horrible choices and sometimes they have godly choices. And you and I get the benefit of seeing how that worked out. And you go, oh my goodness, Lord, I don't want to end up like this. Or Lord, make me like that. 
God will speak to you if you'll spend time in his word. You can be minding your own business, just reading the Bible, and God will use those words. He'll reach out to the, the words on those pages and grab your heart and convince you and me of the truth. Inside your bulletin today, as a matter of fact, um, we have a couple of other things in there. One is a five by five by five reading plan. If you take that out and look at it for just a second. If you have no Bible reading plan, if you hadn't planned on reading the Bible this year, let me challenge you with this. This is just a little schedule you can keep inside. If you have a hard copy of the Bible, you can just use this. Five days a week gives you five minutes a day. If you did five minutes a day worth of reading, so there's five readings and then two days for reflection. So five days of reading each week, two days off for good behavior. And what will happen is if you do this, you will read through the entire New Testament this year. You can do it. Talked to a guy just last week. He said, I read through the whole Bible last year when you challenged us on this. Changed my life. It'll change the way you think. God will speak to you if you're willing to meet with him. So this is a good reading plan. On the back of your outline, you will also, where you're taking notes right now, on the back of that, you'll find a couple of other Bible reading plans. I would point out to you, www.youversion.com, youversion.com. If you get on my Facebook page, if you find me on Facebook, you'll find that I have read it six days in a row. I'm doing this plan myself. I want everybody to know how easy this is. You sign up for it, and every day you set an alarm on that. This morning, a little before six, uh, my iPad chimed and said, John, it's time to read your Bible. I went, thank you, iPad. Anyway, uh, the whole thing, it'll come to right to your phone, right to your tablet, right to your computer. You click on it, and there's even a place where it'll read it out loud for you if you want it to read it to you. And when you finish, it will tell you you completed your reading for the day. And when you complete the whole reading plan, it will say, good job. I mean, they have thought of everything. And so there is no reason now that you and I can't read God's word. But why would I want to do it? Out with the old, in with the new. Why would I want to think foolish thoughts that got me into trouble? Why would I want to meditate on the stuff that ruined relationships last year? Why wouldn't I want to get truth in my head? I mean, I don't think any of us don't understand the wisdom that Solomon was saying there. Hey, bigger houses, as soon as you build a big house, somebody builds one bigger. And amassing great quantities of silver and gold, well, that sounds great. Or having lots of possessions sounds great until you have all this responsibility and now you've got to find a place to store it and insure it and hope nobody steals it. And you go, why do we need all this junk anyway? And so, of course, it makes sense. But if you and I are going to change, we've got to get God's word into our heads and we've got to surrender our hearts. If you flip your outline over, Paul went on. Out with the old, in with the new. Don't live like foolish people stumbling around in the dark. You're Christians now. You know better. And here's why it's important. Paul encouraged the Christians in Ephesus to live as people of light. See, when you get your software rewritten, and I do this, then all of a sudden we stand out. I mean, if everybody else in your office is freaking out and you're calm, what gives? If everybody else is trying to hoard things and you're being generous, what's up with that? If you're the one person in your family who genuinely wants to be with other people and has no angle to play on this, people go, well, how come you're all of a sudden nice? What changed in you? And that's letting God's light shine out through our lives. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5. Look, once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord 
Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. I'm telling you, when you and I allow God to change us, we can't help but stick out. People will meet us and go, what happened to you? You used to worry yourself sick, and now all of a sudden you seem peaceful. Are you on Prozac? I mean, what's, the, what's happening? No, I'm on Jesus. He has changed my life. Now, there's a note in your outline here. It's urgent that we start living as people of light today. Well, why do you say that? Well, here's why. Why would I want to go one more year? We have a chance now, at the beginning of 2013, to make a break, to make a clean break with history. Why would I want to go on another year and say, well, yeah, I know I really need to do this, but I think I'll mess up one more year. You know, I know that this is smart. This makes sense. I ought to think God's thoughts instead of getting caught up trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't even know who they are anyway. I know I ought to get rid of some of this immoral stuff in my life because it's only brought me pain and baggage. I mean, I know that, but not this year. I think a little more pain, a little more baggage, a little more stupidity would do me good. What? I mean, this is urgent. Paul went on. He said, this is why it said, awake, O sleeper. In other words, wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Not only for ourselves, but the second reason it's urgent is, and we need to wake up, is because there are other people around us who desperately need hope. You have relatives and neighbors, and co-workers, and classmates. I have people in my life too. They desperately need hope. They're stumbling around in the darkness. They have got debt, not only up to their eyeballs, they're five feet under in their debt. They're trying to keep up with some kind of standard. They've spent themselves into oblivion. There are people who go through relationships like water, And they're just looking for love and they can't find any happiness anywhere. We know people like this. They're going through addictions and they have secrets in their lives and they need help and they need hope and they need Jesus. And I wish they'd come on Sunday morning and we could tell them, but you know what's going to be more attractive to them than any sermon we can post online? The light that shines out of your life. They're probably never going to listen to me But they'll believe you when they see how Jesus changed you. It's urgent. How much longer do you have in any relationship? How much time are you and I granted this year? Before a friend moves away. Before a loved one passes away. How much time do we have left to influence people that we love? I don't know. Neither do you. So why would we delay? Out with the old, in with the new. Don't chase after the junk you used to chase after. You're a Christian now. Live like it. You know the truth. You used to stumble around the darkness. Not now. Let God change the way you think. Wake up. Now you might be saying, well, John, what do you mean by living as children of light? Well, Paul addresses that too. This is from Ephesians 4. So stop telling lies. This is, he has a laundry list here. One of these things in this list might apply to you, another apply to me, or two of them might apply to me, or, well, all of them might, but we'll just, just go through this with an open mind. Just listen now, 
Are these some things that might need to change in your life and mine? So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down when you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And you know if you struggle with that one, if you just got mad because I mentioned it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Tough crowd. Okay, if you're a thief, if you're a thief, then quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. You see how God changes the way you think. I mean, if I'm a thief, I have to hoard stuff for me now. I got to take stuff and hang on to possessions. I even have to take things that don't belong to me because I have to provide for myself. But if I surrender my life to Christ, I trust that he's going to provide. I can afford to be generous and help people have less than I do. And so Paul says, hey, don't steal any longer. Work with your hands so you have enough to provide for yourself and then help some other people out. Change the way you live. Hey, don't harbor anger and bitterness and ruin 2013 the same way we ruined 2012. Deal with it. If you're angry with somebody, go sit down with them and work it out. Don't let the sun go down on it. So you're not carrying that baggage for another year and ruining more holidays and vacations. Hmm. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. We live in a profane time. People are angry and profane. You can't even watch television now without everything bleeped out. Bleep, bleep, bleep. And raunchy is what you have to be in order to be funny. You can't be funny unless you're vulgar. Things that used to be considered bathroom humor, now that's prime time. Because that's funny. No, it's not. It's wicked. And it's wrong. We don't have to live that way. People send you a dirty email, delete it. They tell you an off-color joke, don't repeat it. You and I can choose that. These are things that brought us embarrassment in 2012. Why am I going to bring that in 2013? Out with the old, in with the new. And get rid of all your bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Said, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Man, you talk about being a bright light in a dark world. Our culture needs to see this. I mean, does anybody here think, you know what we need? We need more profanity. We need more vulgarity. That's what our culture needs. People are starving for that. We're drowning in it. You know what they need? People need forgiveness. They need righteousness. They need people who are trying to Restrain themselves in practicing self-control and love and forgiveness. That's what people want. And they're going to say it. And it's a short track to ratings, I understand, if you make things vulgar. But every one of us knows when we see quality in someone's character. We know it. So here are three steps to becoming a person like that. First of all, there's three steps to becoming a new person. You might hear these again during this series because I want to remind us of this. It always starts out the same way. The first step toward becoming a new person is to realize I need Jesus. To realize that I need Christ if I'm going to overcome sin in my life. Here's the good news. Oh, John, I would love to stop all this, but I can't do it by myself. I know. Jesus knew that. That's why he chose to come and die on the cross for you. He knows you can't do it. He gets it. He understands how weak we are. So come to Jesus. And we have an expression. It's like, oh, it's time for a come to Jesus meeting. 
That's when somebody needs to get something straight, right? Well, is it time in your life for a come to Jesus meeting? Not just an expression, but the real deal? Are there secrets in your life? Are there dark corners of your life where light needs to shine? Why, when are you going to surrender it if not now? Why would you wait? Why would you mess up another year? you got a chance right now on the first Sunday of 2013 to take a stand, to draw a line in the sand and say, no further, I'm surrendering to Jesus today. What did Jesus say about it? We told the disciples, well, God blesses people who realize their need for him. He blesses those. He'll bless you. He'll help you. He knows how weak we are. Paul said he died for everyone. He's speaking of Jesus here. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. New life is possible through Christ. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done. But it starts when we acknowledge, I need you, Jesus. I got to come to Jesus. It always starts there. Second step is this. If you and I want to become new people, we need to ask others for help. My religion is personal and private. Your religion is personal. Christianity is personal, but it was never designed to be private. Never. That's why God gave us church. Here's the church, and here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. We're not supposed to have a relationship with God by ourselves. We weren't designed for that at all. He wants a right relationship with us, and he wants us to have a right relationship with others. By the way, that's why we have a table set up out in the lobby that says connect groups. Our connect groups are small groups that meet in people's homes all throughout the week, some on Sunday, some on Monday, some on Tuesday or Thursday. We're forming groups right now for this whole semester. We'd love for you to get in one. You can build relationships with people just like yourself. You can receive encouragement in prayer. The writer of Hebrews talked about this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some people in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the day of Jesus' return. James said, confess your sins each to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, wonderful results. Well, yeah, but who am I going to pray with? I don't know anybody. Well, that's why you get in a connect group, to build connections and relationships, people you can trust. Then you and I can confess where we're failing. I don't want to go up to strangers and tell them stuff about me. Neither do you. We don't want you to. We'd love for you to get in a group where you can build real friendships. And over time, and you'll know the right time, you'll be able to confess things and pray for each other, and it's meaningful. Life-changing. And I hope in 2013, you'll get involved in one. We're forming groups right now. And if you have questions, stop by the table on the way out. Third thing, a third step toward becoming a new person is surrendering every change, surrendering to every change that God wants to make in my life. Could put surrendering every day to every change that God wants to make in my life. It's one thing to come to Christ and to begin the journey. It's another thing to stay in that journey because God is going to continually change you. Coming to Jesus is like going to the dentist. You go to those dentists and you just want your teeth cleaned and dadgummit, they'll find a cavity and start drilling. You just want to get out of there and they're going, oh, I'm going to fix a problem because it's going to cause you more problems next year. And that's the way it is with Jesus. Reading the Bible, minding my own business. Wham! Now I got to go say I'm sorry to my brother. I was just looking for a five-minute read. 
But the thing is, God's not just after me having five minutes. He's after changing me. And he knows that if I don't get things right, or if I don't apologize, or if I don't give up some sin in my life, it's going to create a huge cavity in my soul a year from now. It's going to bring me more pain than a toothache. Listen to a verse on this. Philippians 2.13, Paul said, God's working in you. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do you know he'll give you the desire and the power? If while we were talking today, while I've been speaking here this morning, you realize that something needs to change in your heart, something needs to change in your life, your heart's beating fast right now about that, don't hesitate and say, and you might even be rationalizing something and saying, God, I can't surrender that. I've tried before and I've always failed. Well, this time, surrender it and say, God, you change me. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it on my own. He'll give you the desire to change and then he'll give you the power to do it. He's not going to get you in somewhere that he, he can't change you. But you and I have to surrender the whole thing to him. We also need to get help from other brothers and sisters. That's what this church is for. So I'd like for us to pray today on this first Sunday of the year and ask God to take out the old and fill us with the new. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the day. I thank you that you're constantly chipping away at the stubbornness and the self-centeredness in my life. And Lord, you're trying to get me ready for heaven. And Lord, I pray that in 2013, I'll quit fighting you. Lord, I want 2013 to be a breakout year. I want you to give me a hunger and a thirst for your word where I want to read the Bible. I want to know the truth. I'm willing to turn off everything else and focus on you for a few minutes every day. Lord, I want you to change me. I want to get rid of things that are dragging me down. Some of you need to surrender your temper. If God spoke to you about that this morning, pray about it right now and say, God, I know my temper's out of control and I need you to change me. Some of you, you have a foul mouth and you say things you should never have said. And if God convinced you about that, convicted you about this this morning, confess that to him right now, just right where you are. God knows your thoughts. He'll hear your prayers. God, I need you to control my tongue. I don't want to talk that way anymore. Well, Father, we don't want to be greedy people. We don't want to chase after things the way people who don't know you at all chase after them. We want to chase after your priorities. Father, I pray that you will put people in our lives who can hold us accountable. Some of us, Lord, we need to be spurred on. We need to be challenged. And Lord, we need friends in our lives who can tell us the truth even when it hurts. I pray, Lord, we wouldn't shrink back from that. I pray, Lord, if our wives have been trying to get us to a connect group, that this year we'll give in and we'll try one out. I pray, Lord, if our husbands have been challenging us to get involved, that we wouldn't make excuses. We'd say, you're right. I pray, Lord, if our parents have been bringing out something that needs to change, we'd do it. And Lord, if we, as we're reading our Bibles, you bring something to our attention, we wouldn't get our back bowed up. We'd just listen and obey. Oh God, I pray for a breakout year where you will break out in my life, that you will break out through my life and through the lives of all of us into this community. There'd be some real life change here. 
I thank you for a new year. I thank you for a chance to take stock and refocus. This year, I want to focus on you. Oh God, I pray that we will focus on you and you will change the way we think. All of us. And draw us a little closer to you each day. Thanks for hearing our prayers. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. The strong name of Jesus. Amen.